Hello there. Welcome back. This is our Christianity 101 podcast, where we are walking through the Baptist Catechism question by question, answer by answer, devoting ourselves to studying this uh, ancient document of our Baptist forefathers and helping us to study what it means uh, to be a a Baptist, but also what what it means to be a Christian, what it means to believe in the faith that our fathers have passed down to us and was given to us by the apostles and by Jesus Christ himself. So we're here this week. This is for question three. So we've done questions one and two. So the first, uh, let me get to this real quick. Right, so we've been walking through this very slowly, um, and the first question was, who is the first and chiefest being? The answer, God is the first and chiefest being. So God is first, he is supreme, he is ultimate, therefore he should be first and chiefest in all of our love, in all of our thoughts, in all of our devotion, in all of our trust, in our fear, and all of everything. We are to look to him. He is the first and the chiefest being. Second, then we asked, well, ought everyone to believe there is a God? The answer is everyone ought to believe there is a God and it is their great sin and folly who do not. So right away we're saying, well, there's this God who is the chiefest being the the one that we ought to be devoted to above all else. Then last week we thought about this. Well, should everyone believe that he exists? Yes, they should. And in fact, if someone doesn't believe in this God, does not trust in this God, does not acknowledge that he exists, but not only acknowledge, but trust, fear, and love him, it is then their great sin and folly who do not believe and trust and rest in this God. So then this leads us to the third question. Okay, so you're telling me it's a sin to not believe in the first and greatest chiefest being. So you're telling me that it's a sin and it's folly and that we all ought to believe that there is a God. So how can we know there is a God? How can we know? How? How can we know there is a God? That is question number three of the Baptist Catechism. How may we know there is a God? Answer, the light of nature in man And the works of God plainly declare there is a God, but his word and spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. Again, I'll repeat that just so we can think about it again. Question three, how may we know there is a God? Answer, the light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God, but his word and spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. So, we, we see a couple of different ways that we can know that there is a God. First of all, it talks about the light of nature in man. There is, um, mankind has an inherent um, capacity, and inher- we have an inner desire, an inner light to know God, um, to know Him uh, but the problem is, is that our understanding is darkened. We read about this in Ephesians four eighteen. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. That's the way we are as sinners, but we are darkened in our understanding. If our understanding wasn't darkened, we would be able to see and understand instinctively almost really, but to know that there is this, this great being. And God himself has given this knowledge to mankind, to us, 
Romans 1.19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. But not only does the light of nature and man show us that there's a God, but we also see that the works of God uh, declare, plainly declare, notice that plainly, this is plain, plainly declare that there is a God. So God's works, first of all, like his, his works of creating the world and just looking about our creation, we can see this is all telling us there is a God. Romans one twenty tells us for his invisible attributes, talking about God's invisible attributes, namely his God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, sinners, mankind, are without excuse. Or again, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 3, says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. Notice, the whole of creation is declaring and preaching to us. The glory of God in the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Psalm 19, 1 through 3. Or again, Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So even the psalmist is saying, I can tell not simply from the heavens, not simply from the stars or from the earth or from all around me, but even the way that I am made as a human being, I can see in your works of creation that I am made by God. Or lastly, Job twelve seven, it says this, but ask the beasts and they will teach you the birds of the heavens and they will tell you. Even the lowliest of animals are teaching and preaching to us that there is a God, that there is this first and chiefest of beings to whom we ought to love, fear, and trust in. And that shows us, it probably it should show us the depth of sin, the fact that the lowliest of animals that we are supposed to be leading and taking care of and having the dominion over and serving, they actually now are the ones having to tell us and remind us that this God exists, our creator. But not simply in his works of creation, we see him in, the, in his works of creation, but also in his works of providence and the way in which he rules and governs this world. We see his works in judgment. Psalm 9 verse 16 says, the Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. So we can see it even in the way in which uh, the world, the wicked are judged in this world, maybe not perfectly yet. But they do get judged, don't they? And the Lord makes himself known in his providential ruling and governing and control of, of this world. Or again, not simply in judgment, but in mercy. Uh, Acts 14 verse 17 says, Yet he, speaking about God, did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Or again, lastly, in miracles, in his control, again, he does miraculous things so much so that whenever uh, God's people were in Egypt and God was, uh, the Lord was, was working miraculously in judging Egypt, even the magician said to Pharaoh in Exodus eight nineteen, this is the finger of God. So God shows us in his works uh, of creation and in providence that he is there. 
He shows us in all of these things. We have this light of nature in us, but these things are insufficient to uh, give us full and uh, effectual knowledge of God for salvation. So we could know some about God. We could know there is a God out there if all we had was the trees and creation. And if we stopped right here and this is all we had was the control of God of the world, um, perhaps even a few miracles, and we just had creation and our own um, understanding and knowledge and wisdom, we could tell that there is a God. We could tell that there is some creator out there, um, and we might be able to tell a couple of things about him. But those things would not lead to salvation because they don't reveal to us the forgiveness of our sins. We would be left with realizing that we were not the type of people that we know we should be. And we could only hope that wherever this God is and wherever he's at, somehow, some way, we can come to terms with him. But that's not the truth, is it, then? We, we, realize, we, we fall short. And so then the God speaks to us straightforwardly in his word and by the spirit of God. When we think about the word of God, it says here in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Again, 2 Peter 1.19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Or again, Isaiah 8.20, to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. So consistently in scripture, we are pointed and directed and exhorted and encouraged and pushed to the scriptures, to the written word of God. But without the spirit of God opening our minds and taking and speaking through the Bible and, and causing us to be born again and then able to see and understand these things that are written in the book, if without the spirit, we cannot be saved. The, spirit, the word of even the word of God, apart from the spirit of God, is insufficient. This is what we see again in Isaiah 6, 9, where he says, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. It is possible to hear the written word of God and yet not believe it or understand it or grasp it. The reality is, is we need the spirit of God to take the written word of God and to change our minds, to raise us up. Now, the good news is, is that God is willing to give the spirit of God to all who ask him. He says this in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So if we want to know the Bible better, if we want to know God's will better, if we want to know this first and chiefest being, we look to the scriptures, but at the same time, while we look at the scriptures, we also look above and we call upon God and ask him to give us the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ that are found and treasured in the written word and help us to understand them, to renew our darkened minds so that we can grasp his saving truth. So, that's what we have in the Baptist Catechism there. So how may we know there is a God? The light of nature and man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God, but his word and spirit only do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. 
I want to read this from Cindy Koch. It's called Chasing After the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not ours. Excuse me. I'll start right here, actually. I am quiet and relaxed. The temperature is just right. Breathing slowly and purposefully, I focus on the black emptiness behind my eyelids. I listen to the hum of a fan spinning just a little too loudly above my head. No, don't think about the fan, I tell myself. Block it out. Open your heart. Inhale. Breath rushes in through my nose, tickles my throat, and swells my lungs. Is my heart open? I imagine each throb spreading wider the little muscle that pulses in my chest. But no, that wasn't right. Not my literal body heart bloody heart behind my ribs had I opened my spiritual heart ah I need to stop filling my thoughts with these stupid questions I need to clear my mind so I could hear his voice I wait for a rush a tingle a voice a vision something unnatural or unexpected but all I feel is a twist of hunger reminding me how long I've been sitting here frustrated with the ordinary drip of my thoughts I open my eyes in anger There was nothing tugging at my emotions and no one let me into his divine master plan. I feel silly for expecting such a sign or wonder, but then also humiliated that the Spirit of God could not muster up even one little shadow for me. What could I do better to conjure the Holy Spirit? It's not like I wouldn't listen. I would. If he clearly told me to sell everything and move to Asia, I would probably do it. If he appeared and commanded me to stop eating chocolate, I would try my hardest. Perhaps it is just an issue of faith. Maybe I'm not yet worthy of his advice. I assume my faith in God and works for my neighbor must increase before I could find his power in my life. Where can I find the Holy Spirit? I desire his good gifts. I hunger after his wisdom. I want to have comfort and peace, but where do I go? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. And Jesus said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It is only the Spirit who gives life, but how does He do it? Is it our preparations or our sacrifices? Is it based upon our merits or our success? Is it through our right words, the right mindset, or the right emotional state? Can we do enough, believe enough, try hard enough, pursue long enough? No. No one by their own thoughts, power, or will can chase down the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells tells us exactly how the Spirit works through the words he has spoken. Jesus continues to say that no one can come to this life, these benefits, this faith by their own desire. Instead, it is given passively. The power of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit descends to earth by a living word. The Father chooses his faithful. He alone speaks life by the Spirit through his only Son. In John 6, when the followers of Christ heard hard sayings about Jesus and realized they had no control over the spirit of life, many of them stopped following him. When they heard they could not chase down the right path and could not please the Father by their own reason or strength, they no longer wanted to walk the path given through Christ. This is an uncomfortable and humiliating place to be. Lord, to whom shall we go? A disciple asked. They didn't have another plan. 
They didn't know where else to go for the spirit of life. They didn't know how to get to get to Father. But in frustration, a disciple named Peter confessed the key to finding the Holy Spirit without even knowing it. You have the words of eternal life, he admitted. Neither the disciples nor any of us have anything to impress the creator of heaven and earth. We don't know how to discipline ourselves to be worthy of eternal love, but in our weakness, the Holy Spirit speaks life and salvation by the word of Christ. The Holy Spirit is not ours to hunt down. Rather, we are the ones relentlessly pursued by the word of Christ. The word of forgiveness and life is poured over our head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He speaks new life into our little hearts and writes our names in the heavenly book of life. No longer a slave to sin, we may begin to wonder where to find this Holy Spirit. But the whole time, the words of Christ hover over our hearts, souls, and minds of his disciples. The Father has already chosen us. The Son has accomplished life eternal for us. And the Spirit continues to enlighten us by Christ's word that surrounds us. Where can I find the Holy Spirit? I desire his good gifts, and I hunger after his wisdom. I want to have comfort and peace, and he has been chasing after me in the word of Christ. So whenever we wonder, how can I know God? How can we know God? Remember, God is the one actually doing the hunting down of us. And he's hunting us down through the light of nature in us, and also through his works of creation and providence, but these things are not sufficient to bring us to a full knowledge of salvation. They can convict us of our sin and show us that he exists, but they can never bring us the comfort of the gospel. And so God then is using his spirit and the scriptures to show himself to us. And that's what we're going to study next week, the word of God and the holy scriptures. Thank you for listening. Next time we'll be in question four. Take care and God bless.